tonight, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 6 and reading through verse 13. I'd like to invite you wherever you are, if you'll stand as we read God's Word together. 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 6 and reading through verse 13. I realized I told you all to turn there, and I did not turn there. Here we are. 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. John writes this, he says, Jesus Christ, He is the one who came by water and blood, not by water only, but by water and by blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three are in agreement. If we accept human testimony, God's testimony is greater because it is God's testimony that He has given about His Son. One who believes in the Son of God has this testimony within Himself. The one who does not believe God has made Him a liar because He has not believed in the testimony that God has given about His Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son does not have life. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Heavenly Father, help us to hear from you as we consider your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I've titled this morning's message, Who Are You Going to Trust? Who Are You Going to Trust? You know, there was a a court case recently where they were trying to determine uh, who was at fault for an auto accident. And one attorney was claiming that the speed of of the individual who had the right of way, right? So he's driving on this, this straight street, uh, and one attorney was trying to prove that he was driving too fast, and that was the cause of the accident. And another attorney was trying to prove that, no, 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 it wasn't the, it wasn't the fault of the, the person who had the right of way. In fact, it was the fault of the one who turned into traffic and hit this person who had the right of way. And when the person who had the right of way who one attorney was claiming was going too fast, Uh, when he was being questioned in order to try to determine the speed, the attorney asked him, what gear were you in when the impact happened? What gear were you in when the impact happened? The witness paused for a moment and then responded, this is a true story. He responded to the question, what gear were you in when the impact happened by saying, Gucci sweats and Reeboks. That's the gear that he was in when the impact happened. You know, that was probably not the most helpful testimony for proving the case. You all know this. You're aware that a testimony is a a very important thing. And a a testimony is important in a couple different areas. We know that for us as Christians, our testimony is an important thing. It is a recounting of how we encountered Jesus Christ. It is a retelling of the time when we were transformed from death to life. And the reason a testimony is so powerful is because it takes the theoretical or, or in the case of Christians, it takes the theological and it makes it practical. And when we give our testimony, 
We're not just sharing some facts that we know, but we're sharing an experience that we have had. But as I mentioned, testimonies are important in other areas as well. Testimonies are extremely important, as we mentioned, in court cases. Court cases hinge on testimonies. Many of you are well aware that right now there is a court case taking place that our entire country is watching. May 25th of last year, George Floyd was, was killed. He was, he was murdered. And right now, one of the officers is on trial. And you know what I think about this situation. My aim is not to get into to what I think about it. Um, but, but there is a court case going on that has gripped our attention. But what, what's been interesting about that court case is watching particular aspects of, of the court case. Now, now, full disclosure here. Uh, I've not really been watching it as it's live. Uh, I, I honestly can't bring myself to do it because it stirs up in me too much anger that is not helpful, nor is it godly. But I have caught clips of it here and there on social media. I've, I've spoken with some of you about it and learned a little bit of details. But one of the things I've noticed, and it's very interesting, and it's not uncommon in court cases, is that before attorneys get into the heart of their question. Questioning before they really start dealing with the situation at hand, they, they ask some questions to help establish the witness. And, and what I mean by that is they, they ask questions that help those watching, it helps the jurors understand that this is not just any random person offering an account. They, they establish credentials, they establish expertise, they establish why it is that this person is testifying, and more importantly, why it is that they should be listened to. And the reason for this is because any attorney worth their salt understands that if you can establish the credibility of a witness, you can, to some degree, establish the credibility of the testimony itself. In other words, who is giving the testimony matters as you consider whether or not the testimony should be believed. If the witness is trustworthy, then the testimony is trustworthy. But you see, it's not just attorneys who understand this reality, that if the witness is trustworthy, the testimony is trustworthy. In our passage this morning, John understands the significance of a testimony. John understands the significance of the one giving it. You see, what's going on in the verses that we just read is that John is, John is trying to make the case. He's trying to offer up testimony that, in fact, Jesus is who he as he is, and that Jesus has done what he said that he would do. He is making the case that we are not fools for trusting in this Jesus. Now, let me pause for a second and say this. I, I don't know about you. I mean, I, I know you new breed. I know those of you who are here. I know some of you who are watching. I know y'all are, y'all are super holy, super redeemed. You don't struggle with your faith, but, but, but I do. And if I'm honest, there are times that I just need that reminder that I'm not a fool for trusting in Jesus. I can look around at what's going on in the world. I can look at what the world's saying. I can look at how they're reacting to situations. And even beyond that, I can look at how some are speaking in the church, how some are saying things about how we should think and how we should act and how we should respond. And at times I'm left kind of standing back going, man, am I crazy? Like, am am I I a fool for trusting in this Jesus? And John is making the case that we are not fools. John is making a case that there is a testimony and the testimony is trustworthy and we are not fools for believing that Jesus Christ is who he said he is, that Jesus Christ has done what he said that he would do. 
But in order for us to make sense of what John is saying, we have to kind of look back at what we talked about a few weeks ago. Because if you remember, in verses 1 through 5, John made the claim that obedience matters. That if we are going to live the true Christian life, that obedience matters. Following Jesus and doing what He has commanded, it matters. But John said that if we do that, we can be confident that we will have victory. Do you remember that? Look back at verses 4 and 5 of 1 John chapter 5. John says, because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. Who is the one who conquers the world, but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So he is making this claim, right, that if we have faith in Jesus... If we have faith that Jesus is the Son of God, we have faith that He has conquered and overcome through the cross and the empty tomb, John is making the case that we too are more than conquerors through Him. And again, this is not because we are so great. It's not because we are so strong. It's not because we have the power to overcome and conquer within ourselves. But what John understands is that if Jesus has overcome, if Jesus has conquered, and we have placed our faith in Him and what He has done, then we too are more than conquerors through Christ. The only way we have victory, though, is if Jesus has victory. Is if Jesus is who He says He is, and if Jesus did what He said He would do. So what John is presenting in the verses that we just read in 6-13 through is the fact that, listen, we can trust that Jesus is who He says He is. We can trust that Jesus did what he said he would do. And the reason that we can trust, the reason we have hope, is because of the testimony that's given. And in our text this morning, John gives us three truths that we need to think about in order to understand this testimony. So here's here's the first truth that John gives us this morning. The first truth is that there is a testimony. There is a testimony. Look at verse 6 says, Jesus Christ, He is the one who came by water and blood. Not by water only, but by water and by blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is truth. Now, now let me explain what's going on here and what John means. Many people have kind of looked at this statement about the water and the blood. If you read commentaries, if you look at it, some people will say that it's one of the more challenging points of interpretation in the book of 1 John. that, that the pictures that he's using, they're somewhat unique, and he doesn't really use these pictures anywhere else in the book, but it doesn't mean that we can't understand it. Uh, There are some different opinions about what he means here, but I'm going to give you the opinion that I think is right, because I think it's right. And so when when John speaks about the water, he's speaking about the baptism of Jesus. The water represents his baptism. And if you recall, there was a testimony given at his baptism. You see this in Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. This is the story of Jesus' baptism. It says, Then Jesus came to Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me. And Jesus answered him, allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John allowed him to be baptized. But, but listen to this. This is what I want you to hear. Look for the testimony. It says, when Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. 
And the heavens suddenly opened for him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now there's so much significance not only for our passage, but also for our general understanding of the Trinity as we consider the baptism of Jesus. Because during this event in Jesus' life, you see all three members of the Godhead present. You see there are some, we call them modalists, who want to argue that God only operates as one member of the Trinity at any particular time, that He's not all three at once, but sometimes He acts like the Spirit, sometimes He acts through the Son, sometimes He acts as the Father, but He acts as one. But what this passage does is it it disproves that. Because at the baptism of Jesus, you have Jesus the Son present as the one being baptized. And while that's happening, you have God the Father who speaks and declares, this is my beloved Son, this is the Son of God. And while all that's going on, the Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove coming down from heaven. You have all three members of the Trinity present at the same time. We believe in one God and three persons. All three members of the Trinity are present. All three members reveal the unique status of the Son of God. But I don't want you to miss it. A testimony is being given there about who Jesus is. But John wants to stress that it's not just by the water that He came, but by the blood. And you might imagine, and I think it's a fair interpretation, that the blood represents the death of Jesus. It represents the cross and it represents Calvary. And at the cross, Jesus himself testifies that the work is done when he declared it is finished. The wrath of God had been satisfied and only God in flesh could accomplish that. But, but, but I want you to notice this. The question is, well, why does John pick these two events? Why does he pick, why does he pick the, the, the baptism of Jesus and why does he pick the, the cross of Christ? Well, I want you to notice that these two events stand as the beginning and the end of Jesus' ministry. They, they are bookends, if you will, with the baptism of Jesus inaugurating his ministry and the cross of Christ inaugurating the kingdom on earth. But what John wants us to see is that it's not just these two events that testify to the fact that there is something about this man, but from the beginning to the end, all of his life and ministry declares that there is just something about his nature. There is just something about this man. There is just something about this Jesus, and there has never been in the in the history of the world anyone quite like him i mean consider for just a moment the ministry of jesus just a few points of his ministry nobody else was led into the wilderness by the spirit to face satan head on and come out on top moses met satan in the wilderness and in anger he forfeited the promised land Jonah met Satan sitting at his home and ignored the call of God and found himself in the belly of a fish. David met Satan on a rooftop and messed up his whole life. Israel encountered Satan and foreign gods and time and time again they found themselves in captivity. But Jesus, Jesus met met Satan in the wilderness and came out on top. 
Nobody else could heal the lame and raise the dead in their own power. Nobody else could meet a Samaritan woman at a well and know everything about her. Nobody else could feed 5,000 people with a few loaves and a few fish. Nobody else could walk on water and then command that same water to be still. Nobody else was qualified to be an all-sufficient Savior. Nobody else could hang on a cross between heaven and earth and provide a way for sinful humanity to be made right with a holy God. And nobody else could get himself up out of the grave and walk out with all power and dominion and the keys to the grave itself in his hand. Listen, what I'm trying to tell you is that there ain't never been in the history of the world anybody like Jesus. And his life testifies that something is different about this man. His very life and ministry testify to the fact that truly this was the Son of God. There is a testimony. There is a testimony. But you see, it's not just his life and ministry. It's not only the testimony of Jesus, but it's also the testimony of God the Father and God the Spirit. This leads to the second truth. Second truth I want you to see this morning. Not only is there a testimony, but the testimony is reliable. The testimony is reliable. Look at verses 7 through 9. John says, For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three are in agreement. If we accept human testimony, listen, God's testimony is greater. Because it is God's testimony that He has given about His Son. And see, what John is arguing here is that the testimony that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is who He says He is, that Jesus has done that which He said He would do, he is arguing that this testimony about Jesus is reliable. And what we see in these verses that we just read is that it's reliable for three reasons. The testimony about Jesus is reliable for three reasons. It's reliable because of how many people said it. It's reliable because of what they said. And it's reliable because of who said it. So first, listen, it's reliable, reliable because of how many people said it. Even as we briefly mentioned ago, it's, it's not simply Jesus who testifies that He is the Son of God, the Word made flesh. It says there in verse 7, there are three that testify. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. And in essence, what John is saying as he points us to the Spirit and these two events in Jesus' life is that it is the Spirit that testifies, it is the Father that testifies, and it is the Son that testifies. So, so let's start with the Father. Where do we see the Father's testimony? Well, we'll notice again, John says the water, pointing us to the baptism. And I'm not going to go deep into it, we just talked about it. But at the baptism of Jesus... The very words of God, the Father, ring out from heaven. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. You know, this isn't the only time in the life and ministry of Jesus that the Father speaks. Do you remember the, the Mount of Transfiguration? You should. We talked about it a little bit last week in our Easter service. As Peter, James, and John are watching the transfiguration take place and Jesus, Moses, and Elijah are speaking together. Matthew records in Matthew 17, 5, while he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. God the Father affirms both the identity and the work of Jesus. 
But similarly, it's not just the Father who testifies. Jesus, the Son of God, affirms who He is. And the cross of Christ declares to us that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. Well, you might be thinking, well, where do you get that from, Michael? Well, listen as I recount what what Matthew records in Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 38. This is around the crucifixion of Jesus. And it says, Then two criminals were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by were yelling insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, they mocked him and said, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let Him come down from the cross and we will believe in Him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue Him now if He takes pleasure in Him. And they said, for He said, I am the Son of God. In the same way, even the criminals who were crucified with Him, crucified with Him, taunted Him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. That is my God, my God. Why have you abandoned me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said he's calling for Elijah. And immediately one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a stick and offered it to him for a drink. But the rest said, let's see if Elijah comes to save him. Listen to this. This is what I want you to hear. Here comes the testimony. But Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. Suddenly, the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked and the rocks split. The tombs were also open and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And they came out of the tombs after his resurrection, entered the holy city and appeared to many. And when the centurion and those with him who were keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they were terrified and said, truly, this man was the Son of God. The cross of Christ is Jesus' testimony that He is who He says He is and He has done what He said He would do. What Jesus accomplished on the cross testified to those who were watching, to those who were keeping watch over, that truly this man was the Son of God. But it's not only the Father. It's not only the Son, but the Spirit testifies as well. You may say how Does the Spirit testify? That's a great question. You are so astute. The Spirit testifies in our hearts that all of this is true. Hebrews 10, 10 through 15, by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Praise God. He says every priest stands day by day making or ministering and and offering the same sacrifice time after time which can never take away sins. But this man After offering one sacrifice for sin, sat down at the right hand of God. He is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. Here it is. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. You see it in Romans 8, verses 16 and 17. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Three testify, the Father, the Son, 
and the Spirit. Now remember, it is reliable because of how many people said it. Three. Now, why is this three significant? Well, in Deuteronomy 19.15, we read, One witness cannot establish any iniquity or sin against a person, whatever that person has done. Listen to this. A fact must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Ain't it just like God to fulfill His own requirements? God is fulfilling His own requirement in the law of a trustworthy testimony by offering three testimonies that this Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But listen, not only is the testable reliable because of how many said it, the second reason it's reliable is because of what they said. The the testimony is reliable because of what they said. Look at the end of verse 8. It says, and these three are in agreement. In other words, they are all saying the same thing. Now, this might not seem like a big deal to you, but when you, do you know how hard it is to get the same story from multiple people? How difficult it is to get the same testimony about another person or an event? You know, I've spent, you know this, I've spent most of my adult life working with children in some way, shape, or form. No, I'm not talking about you, literal children. Literal children. You know, without fail, when you work with children, some of you know this just from being parents, uh, something happens. Maybe it's an injury, maybe it's an argument, or maybe these group of kids just see something that amazes them, and then you sit down to talk with them, and one of the questions that you're going to ask is, tell me what happened. Now, one thing I can say after many years of working with children, one thing I know with certainty is that when I have asked that question about an event or something that was witnessed without fail, if there are three people there, I will get three different accounts. If there are four people there, I will get four different accounts. And you may be thinking, well, that's just children. Oh, no, no. You see, I've done a lot of counseling with folks as a pastor. I've done counseling with some of you. Now, I'm not going to spill your secrets. Don't worry. But in counseling, the reason that you're seeking counseling is often because an issue has come to you, has come up. Now, let's just say it's marriage counseling. Ali and I have done a lot of marriage counseling. And let's say you come and sit with me because you had a bad week or something happened. And I say to you, well, why don't you tell me what happened? I can almost guarantee that I will have two different accounts of what happened by the husband and the wife. Not only that, I will have two different interpretations of how they view the person. I was innocent. You were guilty. No, you were guilty. No, I was innocent. You know, listen, make no mistake about it. It is not a minor thing that the three testifying are all saying the same thing and the case is being built and the witnesses are proving themselves reliable. The testimony is reliable. But listen to this. The testimony is not only reliable because of how many said it. It's not only reliable because of what they said. The testimony is reliable because of who said it. Look at what John says in verse 9. If we accept human testimony, God's testimony is greater because it is God's testimony that he has given about his son. And what John is doing here, it's actually something that's very common in scripture, is is John is arguing from the lesser to the greater. And he's saying basically, listen, if you're going to believe earthly testimonies, if if you're going to trust two or three earthly witnesses, How much more should you trust the testimony of the triune God? 
The testimony of God is greater than the testimony of men. Now listen to me, I want to I pause here because there's a point of application there for us. All over the world, people are testifying. Throughout the church, people are testifying. People are telling you what you should think, what you should believe. People are telling you how you should respond. People are telling you what the righteous response is. People are telling you what the, what the unrighteous response is. Some people are telling you, no, 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 you just preach the gospel. Some people are saying, no, 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 the gospel demands we do justice. All throughout this world, people are testifying. They're testifying about what we should believe and think. They're testifying about who this Jesus is and what he stands for. And the problem is some of those testimonies are false. And the problem is that some of these testimonies don't match up with the testimony that God himself has given. And hear me, please hear me. The problem comes when we start trusting the testimony of people over the testimony of God. But what's even more dangerous is when we listen to the testimony of others without even knowing the testimony of God. I'm going to be really clear with you, as clear as I can be, the greatest influence in your life should not be some theologian or pastor or seminary professor on social media. The greatest influence of your life should not be me as your pastor. And listen, I'm keenly aware that for many of you, you don't even trust me as much as you trust some of the pastors and those that you listen to on social media, which that's an issue all of its own. The greatest influence in your life should be this book, the very testimony of God, where God tells you who He is. God tells you how you should act. God tells you what righteousness is. God tells you what obedience is. And the problem is, some of us are trying to let everybody else out there do the work for us, and they're leading us astray, and we've not opened this book, and we don't even know it. God's testimony is always greater than the testimony of any man or any woman. So what John wants us to see is that there is a testimony. But not only that, the testimony that's given is a reliable testimony. It's a trustworthy testimony. It's a testimony that demands our attention. But here's the final truth that John wants to present. Not only is there a testimony, not only is the testimony reliable, but the testimony is our assurance. The testimony is our assurance. Look again at verses 10 through 13. He says, the one who believes in the Son of God has this testimony within himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. The one who has the son has life. Period. The one who has the son has life. The one who does not have the son of God does not have life. He says, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So so there in verse 10, thinking about our assurance, before he gets into that, John makes it clear that there are only two responses to the testimony that's been given. There are only two. 
First, if you, if you believe that Jesus is who He says He is, if you believe Jesus did what He said He did, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, then the testimony indeed dwells in you and has changed you. But on the other hand, if you do not believe that Jesus is who He says He is, if you do not believe that Jesus has done what He said He would do, If you do not believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, God in flesh, you are declaring the testimony of God Himself to be invalid. You are declaring that God is a liar. And and, and I want to put it as plainly as I can. There is no middle ground when it comes to Jesus. Believing that Jesus was just a good moral teacher, it doesn't work. Believing that Jesus is just another way to get to God. It doesn't work. Scripture says there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we can be saved. So either you're right and God's wrong or God is right and you are wrong. There's no middle ground to this. I like how C.S. Lewis puts it in Mere Christianity when he writes of Jesus and says, either this man was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at him, Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about this being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. In other words, Jesus is who he said he is. Or Jesus is a complete and utter fraud. And God is a liar. Either Jesus is the son of God or he is not. But what I want you to see, what John wants you to see, is that if you believe the reliable reliable threefold testimony of our triune God, then we have an assurance that we will be kept for Him for for all eternity. Look at what John writes in verses 11 through 13. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Listen to me. Please hear me. The testimony is not that if you trust Jesus, you will not have any problems in this world. The testimony is not That if you trust Jesus, your bank account will be full. The testimony is not that if you trust Jesus, everybody in this world is going to like you. The testimony is not that Jesus will give you everything you want if you trust Him. The testimony is not that if you trust Jesus, your life will be easy and you will die peacefully in your bed at a ripe old age at a time of your choosing. The testimony is that if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, if you believe that He lived the perfect life that you should live but cannot, if you believe that He died the death you deserve, deserve to die because of your sin and in so doing he satisfied the wrath of a righteously angry God if you believe he was buried and three days later raised from the dead if you believe this testimony as the only way you can be made right with God the promise 
is not that your life will go well. It's not that you will have everything you want. It's not that everybody will like you. The promise is that you will have eternal life with God the Father forever and ever. Amen. But not only that, the testimony declares to us that we will never lose that life. That's why John writes this in verse 13. I'm so thankful for verse 13. He says, I have written these things. He's telling us why he's sharing all that we have just talked about. He says, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants us to have assurance that in Christ Jesus, you will be kept for all eternity. And brothers and sisters, that's good news. That is good news because it declares to us that our standing with God does not depend on what we do. And even as Christians, the guarantee that God will keep us in the faith, it's not based on how well we perform. It's not based on how obedient we are. It is not dependent on what we do. And you know, sometimes you might question that. I know I have in my walk. I would be lying to you if there were not times where the thought popped into my head, maybe I'm not really saved. Maybe I don't really have eternal life. And typically I say that because things aren't going the way that I think that they should go. Perhaps I'm really wrestling with sin and I cannot even by the Spirit's power seem to overcome this. I'm struggling with temptation. I'm falling into sin. I'm failing. I'm making a mess of things. And the question pops into my mind, what if I am not saved? What we have to understand, brothers and sisters, is that you did not walk into this place this morning to worship this God because you held it all together. You did not wake up this morning a Christian because you have had enough faith. You did not wake up a Christian because you have done enough things to earn the right to wake up a Christian. You woke up this morning still saved, still still redeemed because the God who promised is faithful. Because even when we falter, even when we fail, He has said, I will not let you go. And let's be honest for a minute, brothers and sisters. If it was up to us to keep our faith together, not a one of us would make it. Some of us can't even keep our bank accounts in check, let alone our souls. Some of us can't keep our own homes in check, let alone our faith. Some people can't even keep their children in line, let alone keeping yourself as a child of God. Our assurance is found in the fact that Jesus died to save sinners and those He has saved, He will keep. His death and resurrection is that strong. We don't have to be obedient to keep ourselves in the faith. We get to be obedient because He will hold us fast. We don't have to prove that Jesus' death was successful. The empty tomb declares to us, declares to us that it was everything that we are and everything that we have and everything that we will be hinges on the testimony that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And those who are saved are saved indeed. That He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. See, we're good with the fact that we don't do anything to save ourselves, right? We're saved by grace through faith. It's all the work of God. But we've tricked ourselves into thinking that though we are saved by grace, we got to keep 
ourselves in the faith by works. No, no, no. That is not how Scripture teaches it. Scripture teaches us that, that our works is the evidence of the fact that we are saved and that God is keeping us already. You don't have to keep yourself in the faith. You don't have to be that strong because Jesus is. Again, everything that we are and everything that we have hinges on the testimony that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Everything that we are, everything that we have hinges on the testimony that it is finished. You see, at the heart of the true Christian life, it's a belief, a belief that Jesus is who he says he is, that Jesus accomplished what he said he accomplished. Everything that we are and everything that we do is a response to that belief, to that faith. If you are here and you are questioning, man, maybe I'm not saved, maybe I'm not redeemed, maybe I don't trust Jesus like I should because you are looking at things in your life and they aren't what you think they should be. Let me ask you this. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Do you believe that he died on a cross to pay the penalty for wretched sinners like you and me? Do you believe that through his death, the wrath of God has been satisfied and the debt has been paid? And do you believe that three days later, he got out of that grave with all power and dominion and the keys to hell itself in his hand? If you believe that, you are safe. And you are safe for all eternity because that is what matters. So as I draw this to a close, the question I must ask, the question that you have to answer this morning is this. Who are you going to trust? When the days are easy and the sleep is restful, who are you going to trust? When the days are hard and the nights are long, when nothing seems to be going as you planned, who are you going to trust? But I need you to know that how you answer those questions, those answers have consequences that will echo through all of eternity. And so my plea this morning is that you would trust Jesus. I'm just not talking about unbelievers. Yes, I want unbelievers to trust Jesus, but believer who is sitting here at this moment with questions, with doubt, with uncertainty, I am calling you, I am pleading with you to trust Jesus, because he is who he said he is, and he has done what he said that he would do, and you don't have to take my word for it, because there is a better testimony than mine. 